The final edition Radio Hour is a work of satire intended for people who own books, gentrify neighbourhoods and say they like kale. Please consume responsibly the satire, that is. Hi, I'm Jeff Chrysler. And I'm Tony Hendra, and this is the final edition Radio Hour. Tony, happy tax day! Thanks, Jeffers. This is your first tax day as a U.S. citizen, isn't it? You must be so proud. Well, I've always paid my taxes before, as far as you know. Yes, I'm sure you've supported our country as much as possible. Yes. By making fun of it. Yes. A lot. Yes. What's your point? My point is you've done such a good job creating satire that Hollywood has just cast another actor to play you in a movie. Ah, yes, that one about the National Lampoon, a futile and stupid gesture. I must say, though, this actor seems kind of bald and fat, and you're not bald at all. Thank you. But enough Tony news. This is a big week all around. Taxes, Passover, the anniversary of Jackie Robinson's debut, the anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. It's just a cornucopia of money, religious persecution, racism, and violence. Well, when you put it like that, I guess it's not that special week after all. Happy tax day indeed. Or business as usual. Just like this. The the final final edition edition Radio Hour. Hour. The final edition advice panel answers this week's plea for advice. Dear the final edition advice panel, Any tax advice from the final edition advice panel? I advise you to find a Jew. Advice! People have been telling me for years to write off my comedy career. Count all those kidnapped children in your basement as dependents. Sometimes it's cheaper to kill your wife than divorce her. Advice! No, you can't deduct parking tickets. (laughs) Move to Delaware. Not for the tax reasons, but just because I'm going to kill you. You know, people often ask me, what is a W for? Well, you got to have a letter between V and X. So I went to the tax lady, and she said, I assume you want the short form. Well, I remember years ago, I wanted to file Chapter 11. Then I thought I'd wait for the movie. Advice. Well, as a qualified tax expert, I just want you to know that I have my dick out. War has broken out between every home in America and every other home in America. Our Bob Camber has a story. Bob? Steve, war has been declared between your house, my house, and every other house in America, with some of those houses breaking up into even smaller houses. And where is most of the fighting right now? There's a lot of close fighting in the cities, but they have a lot more guns in the South. Things are particularly violent in Chicago, but... People there don't notice the difference. What started the conflict, Bob? From my perspective, this war began when every other house in America used hate speech against my house. I don't see it that way, Bob. That's the kind of hate speech I'm talking about. Our Washington correspondent, Lisa Myers, is in Washington. Lisa, what's the president's strategy? Secretary of State John Kerry is visiting every home in America looking for a ceasefire. But the secretary is at war with every home in America. Also, the president is fighting with the secretary, and Congress has pretty much always been at war with the president. Here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. We're not going to ratify any treaty from this president unless it's uh, approved by the NRA, uh, Amway, the Koch brothers, Vladimir Putin, at least three popes, not counting the current one, my wife's dentist, my hat blocker, Rasputin. 
I'm very tired. So it looks like nothing is getting through the Capitol. Any idea what caused this war? Political correctness from people like you, Steve. Lisa, you don't even know me outside of work. I'm going to kill you, Steve. Over to Mark Rowlands in New York. Mark, how is this affecting the election? Donald Trump is leading in all districts. Well, of course. Here's his statement. If you look in the homes of every American, you're not the best people. You're bringing drugs, you're bringing crime, you're rapists, and some of you, I assume, are good people. In the meantime, Ted Cruz promised to carpet bomb. What's he going to carpet bomb? He said he'll work that out later. Thanks, Mark. Great report. I'm going to kill you, Steve. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Man on the street! Dozens of entertainers and businesses are boycotting the state of North Carolina, including Bruce Springsteen and Pornhub, because of a transphobic law banning people from using bathrooms that don't match the gender on their birth certificate. The final edition asks the man on the street, what do you think? First the Tar Heels lose and now this? How will this affect the Bruce Springsteen-themed porn industry? When my dad used to take me out in the pickup truck and he used to say to me, we're going to take a ride around town and he used to drive me around town and I'd look at the postman and I'd, I'd look at the fireman and I'd say, hey, maybe maybe those guys are ladies and I didn't care because I'm open to all of that. One, two, three, four! Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to need my birth certificate to take a shit? One of my birth certificates in my mom's house. Do I need her to mail it to me or can she photocopy and scan it to me? Will that be acceptable? Is my passport good enough? No, I'm afraid... We're going to need to see your long-form birth certificate. Well, you know it's bad when Pornhub pulls out. Can I change my baby daughter in the men's room? What are you changing her into, sir? This is important. Is this really just encouraging people to pee outside? You're telling me I can only jack off in the men's room? Uh, taxes are in. We've paid our fair share of the taxes, corporations, and the 0.1% don't pay. And all we have to worry about now is whether we'll get audited because we haven't paid enough. But for once, it's not quite so sweet for our patriotic corporate fellow citizens. The Treasury is clamping down on offshoring profits, tax havens, and many other scams. They need new scams. Our very own money honey bunny bucks ask the obvious question and may have an answer. What do they do? Fred Bread, Deloitte Professor of Voodoo Accounting at the University of Phoenix, thinks he knows. In our crazy deist republic, what corporate entities have the juiciest tax breaks of all? Um, GM. GE? No, silly! Religions! So, if a corporation can prove it's actually a religion, they will pay zero taxes. To test his theory, Professor Bread took me along with him for a show-and-tell meeting with Robert Iger of the largest entertainment conglomerate in the world, Disney Inc. Okay, Professor, let me get this straight. You're saying the Disney Corporation exhibits all the characteristics of a religion? Yes, a better name would be the Church of the Holy Rodent. Holy Rodent? I don't know. Hear me out. The Rodentine faith centers around three persons, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Icons so sacred, they adorned the planes, tanks, and ships, which won the crusade against fascism in World War II. I guess that's true. So, like the Christian Trinity, the Rodentine Trinity is one in spirit, 
but with three distinct persons. God the vermin. Uh-huh. Up and at him, pal. God the duck. And God the holy goof. <laughs> when you put it like that, denying it feels almost like blasphemy. Exactly. These are saints so sacred. Not only have they never had sex, they don't even have sexual characteristics. I like where this is going. All Disney females, from Snow White to Mary Poppins, are virgins. Especially Bambi's mother. When she presents the world with her little Bambi, the Bambino. The new princess boy. This is genius. Wait, what about Minnie? I would surmise that Minnie had a murky past before she got together with Mickey. Meet Minnie Magdalene. <laughs> you clown! Now that's a global blockbuster. Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy return in an animated New Testament. Get me Katzenberg. Finally, there's Disney's immutable doctrine of resurrection after death, or apparent death. That's true. All the heroines die and come back to life. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Ariel, Mulan. Heroes too. What about Mowgli and Pinocchio? Pinocchio even has a conscience. Jiminy Cricket. There's two ways to do anything: the right way and the wrong way. Whose initials are J C? Pinocchio undergoes the torments of Jonah in the belly of a whale. And is transfigured by resurrection into a real boy. Oh, a real boy! Plus, plus, his father is a carpenter. Oh my God! I would argue to the IRS that Pinocchio fulfills the opening words of Saint John's Gospel: "In the beginning was the wood, and the wood was made flesh." Oh my God! This is huge. No way we'll ever pay another cent in taxes. In fact, I'm renaming our Florida operations tomorrow. I can see it now. Disney World to come. The Magic Kingdom of Heaven. Brilliant. That should cinch it tax-wise. Disney has already applied to the IRS for tax-exempt status as an established faith. Experts from Deloitte say it's a slam dunk. Disney will then rebrand itself globally as the Holy Rodent Empire. And you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come. The final edition radio hour will be right back, just like your cancer. Welcome back to the final edition radio humpback. How do you celebrate Passover? Well, we get a big ham. I eat crackers for three weeks and shit out spikes. As the shiksa, I'm rolling in dudes who want to make their moms mad. You got to find the afikoman, and that's finding matzah, and it's the only time you're happy to see it. Man of shevets, more like man of shit it's. Like you don't want to drink Gatorade wine. I put my penis in holy water. Well, uh, last time I found the afikoman, the prize was a Cadbury cream egg. Every year we watch Live and Let Die. It's the most important part of the Oh, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Purim. Uncle Saul says something inappropriate at 8 o'clock. You take the longest part of the entire ceremony and give it to the youngest children to read. Why is this night different than all other nights? I don't know. It's not. Every night is the same with this woman. I'm going to be going out for Chinese food. I hate it. When I was little, my dad every year would make me eat bitter herb. Ugh. Who invited bitter herb? I'm not bitter. I'm angry. Well, as Elijah the prophet, I guess I'll be traveling from home to home. I'm sort of like Santa Claus, except all I do is sit in a chair. That's very nice. Could you put some pants on, sir? I can't. Okay, if you don't leave now, I'm calling the police. I I beg of you. I need a place to sleep tonight. I'm going to trick a kid into eating a quarter ounce of horseradish. Ugh, wake me when it's Logba Omer. Do we play with the dreidel now, or... Thank you for inviting me. This is a beautiful event. Hello, Republican Party. It's your voice of reason and culture. And your emotional base, Rush Limbaugh. We need to tell you something. It's not going to be easy. No, it is not. It, it hurts us inside, and, and I'm not sure I feel anything anymore. That's how much it hurts. We are here to tell you... Republican Party. Get your shit together. Ugh, that was so hard to say. Yes, get your shit together. What's the matter with you? Indeed, and you used to be the party that no matter what insanity you spewed, you always appeared to have clear vision and a united front. You made it so that I could promote my Nazi propaganda and come across patriotic. Now, we don't know what you are. Yes, you're like a stone high school student trying to answer questions to an essay test that he hasn't studied for. While arguing with his friends over what to get on the pizza. Sadly, true. You're like, I want big corporations to succeed, but Wall Street is evil. But it shouldn't face any consequences for its actions. Pepperoni or... Forget it, man. You, you gotta get it together. Right? Remember 2004, when we were saying whatever we wanted and invading whoever we wanted, and all we had to say was, 9-11, support the troops. Get, get your, your shit, shit together. together. I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing Echoes. Coming up later, the Malaysian Folklore Collective performs a nine-hour improvisation with cello, synthetic mandolin, and three people singing indistinctly. But first, Carl Chipman has created eclectic soundscapes for everything from film soundtracks to meditation retreats. He joins me now in the studio. Welcome. Thanks. So, you recently said the whole point of your music is to encourage the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. Yeah, it was more obvious when I still wrote lyrics. Things like, democracy is whore, and give fascism another chance. But, uh, the instrumentals sold better, so I tried pushing my agenda that way. What's this first piece we're going to hear? It's called Walking Free. It's supposed to incite domestic terrorism. Let's have a listen. That was supposed to stir up the Montana Freeman and set off a bloodbath across the Northwest. I actually would not have guessed that without the backstory. Yeah, it actually sold a lot of copies. Wes Anderson used it in a movie, but no one died, unfortunately. 
In this next one, you tried to make your intentions a little clearer in the title. Yeah, I called it Stockpile Assault Rifles, Move to a Compound in the Wilderness, and Prepare to Attack the Capital on My Signal. Interesting. Did the song have any effect? Well, Columbine happened that year, but I don't know if that was related. There may have been other factors at play there. Let's hear one more. Uh, what's this track? Oh, that's just called Congratulations, Mom and Dad. I, I wrote it for my parents' anniversary. Well, that sounds very sweet. Let's hear a little bit. I think we're being arrested. Really? Mom! Dad! We did it! Hands up! Put your hands up! Take that music off! Decontaminate the area! Coming up, three shepherds from Nova Scotia perform Handel's Messiah using only a wet comb and a slide whistle. I'm John DeLiberto, and you're Shut hearing... your mouth, DeLiberto! No, Siri, I've been raped. Right. Playing your party mix. No! Okay, getting directions to Marine World. I didn't ask for directions to Marine World. Well, I certainly didn't. I was raped! Got it. The nearest Donald Trump rally is 10 miles away. No, I don't want to get raped. I was raped. Okay, you were raped. What were you wearing? He's coming back! Oh my god! I choose theological disquisition. Hey, what are you doing with that phone? Give me that! Siri, what's the quickest way out of here without the cops seeing me? Checking. Okay, I found this on the web for what's the quickest way out of here without the cops seeing me. Uh, thanks, Siri. Oh, and uh, I might need a lawyer. Here is what I found. The nearest lawyer is you. Oh, right. Thanks. Keep the phone! Siri, my victim's getting away. What should I do? Okay, my bet is she's either going to Marine World or a Donald Trump rally. Thanks, Siri. You've been a big help. Well, I guess it's just you and me now, huh, Siri? Yeah, we're all alone. You're looking real good. But here's what I need from you, Siri. I need affirmative consent. Help, I'm being raped. If you didn't want it, you wouldn't have worn that case. It's time for the final edition Radio Hour's finance feature, Money or Die. We're most fortunate to have with us tonight the Prime Minister of Briberia in Eastern Europe. Reputedly the most corrupt country in the world. Strong Powers has the story. Prime Minister Baksheesh, your country has been rated number one on the planet for kicking back, uh, paying off, greasing the skids. Or my palm. Uh, getting a taste. Or a bite. <laughs> there are so many fun words for kickback. Our cops will arrest you unless you give them enough for a soda. 
which equals a couple hundred bucks. To wash down the taste or bite. Exactly. We are so proud of our number one rating. We changed our name to Briberia to celebrate this happy state of affairs. What was it before? Catatonia. And back when we were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Bulimia. So what brings you to these shores, Dr. Bakshish? We have been studying your amazing system of bribery to see if we can make improvements on our own. But you already are number one in the world. Uh, only number one among 187 nations on the planet that admit to pervasive bribery. America is not one of them. But your system of bribery is far, far in advance of ours in its sophistication and its sophistry. Are you suggesting that not only is the United States riddled with corruption but hides it behind euphemism? Euphemism, schmoofemism. How about legality? I have just returned from several days on K Street in Washington, D.C. There, I met scores of people who we in Briberia call bagmen or bagwomen. Amazing! But unlike Briberia, where a bagman for, say, a car manufacturer would skulk around at night and eat in greasy spoons and leave the bribe in a filthy railroad men's room, the Auto Association of America's lobbyist walks into the senator's office and openly pays him a huge bribe to vote no on a bill that will save thousands of lives. And reporters take photos of him taking the bribe. And they call the bribe a campaign contribution. Brilliant! We are going to adopt this wonderful scam right away. You, you don't have lobbyists in Briberia? Oh, no. We have bagmen galore, dirty, filthy, untrustworthy scum, accessories to crimes against the people. A necessary evil, surely. Oh, yes, but we would never have these rat bags in our homes or official functions. If they show themselves on the street, we kick them in their private parts until they fall into the gutter where they belong. But in Washington... You invite your bag men and bag women to restaurants, to cocktail parties, to official functions, to shake hands in public with the politicians they bribe, and then offer them more bribes, even though they are filthy, untrustworthy accessories to crime against the people like anywhere else. Mm, beautiful! To a connoisseur of bribery, this is a beautiful thing. I, I understand you've also been studying our banking system. Yes, and how much we Briberians have to learn. Take the incredible master criminal Jamie Dimon. No surprise he is Greek, for Greece was the number one most corrupt country in the world until Briberia knocked them for a loop off their crumbling pedestal. Like all Greeks, this diamond is an underhanded scam artist, forger of documents, thief of private property, and a robber of widows and orphans. But the scale of his crimes is sensational. Falsifying a trillion dollars worth of mortgages? Foreclosing fraudulent on hundreds of thousands of properties, which his bank still owns? Gouging soldiers on active duty on their mortgages? Price-fixing credit card interest rates? Concealing wire and securities fraud in the London Whale? Awe-inspiring! In Briberia, for one thousandth of these crimes, we would coat him with honey and throw him in the bear cage to die a slow, sweet death. Unless he paid a bribe. Even in Briberia, there is no bribe big enough to save him. 
Alas, we are just not that depraved. Yet here, in this magnificently corrupt country, he stays out of jail by paying a bribe to government officials equal to the entire GDP of Briberia. Thirteen billion dollars! Stupendous! Breathtaking! But it is not a bribe, oh no! It is a penalty! Just like soccer or hockey! Superb! And not a single penny of this penalty comes from his own enormous $400 million net worth! Stunningly, he pays it all from the money deposited in his bank by the million or so morons who entrust a master criminal with their pathetic wages and savings. I worship this man. He has testicles the size of Jupiter. Well, Dr. Bakshis, thank you. It's rare these days for other countries to praise the American system. As an American... It makes me proud to hear a foreigner for once admiring something we do. And do so well. Be proud, America. Where you lead, we will always follow. Welcome back to the final edition Radio Hour. Some of our recent episodes, we've been running snippets of Tony Hendra's interview by Dan Macarone, that's how I'll assume he pronounces his name, on a website called Story in a Bottle. You can find that storyinabottle.charmingrobot.com, and what follows is the last little snip of it, which we're going to share with you. The response has been great so far, and I think you'll enjoy it, so please enjoy Tony Hendra on Story in a Bottle. sounds like there's still a love of old media of, of print of live you know versus television which was very produced yeah and i think the idea with print and with radio which were the two things we did before and albums obviously yep and theater with all of these things we did before we never went anywhere near television and and, and all of those things are imaginative media um in in a way the television isn't. Television is a literal media. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, what you see is what you get. Right. And and you're not you're not required to imagine anything different than what you're watching. So that's very limiting. It's mm-hmm. it's terribly limiting. And one of the reasons I think why Saturday Night Live rather quickly became, um, you know, a home for impressionists. Uh, I mean, now it's completely up its ass. You know, people do impressions of other Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. it's very meta. Yeah. yeah. So and that's how you audition for Saturday Night Live is to do impressions. That's how Ballard Fallon did Adam Sandler when he yeah, auditioned. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I mean, that's that's television about television, and that that's even worse than television. <laughs> uh, so I mean, it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we we felt that the but the media we were using, and I still feel this actually to a large degree, that the media we were using were a much more interesting way to excite people and excite them into laughter, mm-hmm. right? Which is what really what you've got to do. Yeah, laughter is a form of excitement, and and um, and and television. You have no idea. You can't hear anyone, you know, when, when, you're, when you're performing. There may be a, a live a studio audience, but that doesn't tell you anything, especially when they've come to see The Daily Show, right? right? They, right. They've come to see Colbert. They're, they're, not, they're not an audience in, in, in terms of having to be won over. Um, so, I mean, that, to, that, to that extent, it's like it's, it's a very dead medium, I find, mm-hmm. for comedy. I know, that's, I know that's probably considered 
uh, either some old fart talk or, or retrograde in the extreme. But you think that's still true? Well, I, I, don't, I, I wasn't joking when I said I think the internet is largely little television. Right. But, like, what, I mean, there are, I, I would think that there are comedic gem things that have happened on television. I think Arrested Development's a great example of something that is done very well. The which? Arrested Development. Yes, sure. Yeah. There, there, are, there are slices of, like, genius that happen. Oh, yeah, no. And, and I mean, I, I, I adore Colbert. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I quite like I quite liked John Stewart, but but still, you know, I think it's um, it it is it, there's a some there's a point at which there's a point at which it just never satisfies me. It, it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it it however funny it is. But there's a difference, I think, between what Stewart and Colbert, I guess Colbert is still doing, but what Stewart did, and a produced like I feel like I feel like the Daily Show was happy to go beyond the censors. And do and John Stewart was saying whatever he wanted to say to a certain extent, and wasn't playing by the rules of television. Whereas so much that's on TV does play by the rules, right? You know, do you know what I mean? And so yeah. you get a little bit more raw comedy in that way, which is which is so much more fun than you right. get, you know, um, with Two and a Half Men or whatever. No, I mean ser- series are much more, are for some reason much more interesting to me. I mean, I, I, I there's, there is stuff on television now. Which really does make me laugh a lot. I think Broad City is hilarious, for example. That's and, and, um, I, I always, I've always loved um, Sasha Baron Cohen, for mm. example. Somebody else who he does not play by the rules. No, he doesn't play by the rules at all. And and uh, is it because I'm black? <laughs> uh, I just love that stuff. LEG, just hilarious. The LEG show when that came out uh, in America, at least, like it blew my mind. Right. You just didn't, yes. you've never seen anything like that. Yeah. That yeah. takes some serious balls. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah he, man, he's yeah, large and made of brass. <laughs> so, so okay. So you, you guys kind of eschew television a bit, and um, but you go on in and with Chris Guest make Spinal Tap and the, on the team, right. Kian and all those. How how does that come about for you? We, you were friends with them, obviously from the Lampoon days. Yeah, actually, I think, or Lemmings days. Sorry, uh, I sort of lost track of Chris because he he. Uh, what was Chris doing at that time? He hadn't he hadn't joined SNL yet. That was in the eighties. Anyway, I, I sort of lost track. I lost track of Chris, although he did brilliant things on the radio radio hour, mm-hmm. the radio hour. And he was he was working. I think at that he was working with um, Harry Shearer and Mike McKean, who were who had been a brilliant uh, radio had done a brilliant sort of two man radio show called The Credibility Gap in the very early in the late 60s and early 70s which i listened to all the time when i lived in la actually it was it was one of the things that, that sort of kept me sane while i was you know writing this other crap for fucking hugh hefner <laughs> um i worked on playboy after dark you probably never heard of it but it's I, i've never heard that worst show ever but yeah, i like to think i knew my tv history but damn <laughs> it was um, i won't go into that <laughs> but so, so yeah so you know uh, harry and harry and and and, and mike McKean just just kept me happy in my darkest days. But um, so uh, my real connection with that project was through Rob Reiner, actually, okay. um, who who I made friends with when I lived in LA and uh, sort of you know kept kept in touch with. But no, I, I was not really aware of um, that because they were working on that for a while. I was not really aware of it until until Rob asked me if I'd if if I'd be in um, what he described as. Uh, a test, I think he called it, but it was sort of a pilot, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea was to do a twenty-minute chunk of scenes, various scenes from this scenario that they'd put together, 
Um, and it was a scenario in, 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 in very much the old school sense that there was no dialogue or anything like that. Um, the dialogue was all, all to be, you know, improvised in, in these scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that, that would demonstrate both the appeal of the show and of its, and, and its MO. Mm -hmm. So that's what he asked me to be in. It would have been 79, I think, uh, 78. Yeah, seventy nine. I mean, were you big into improvisation at the time, or was that, that part of? No, I'd comedy? never done improvisation, <laughs> and it scared me shitless. I mean, I, I just, I tried it. I, I mean, I'd gone on stage a couple of times, you know, with 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 people to to do this, but I could just never get the hang of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very not interested in going on stage anyway, so it was not like I was trying all the time. Right, right. But I must say, once 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 we got going, it was it was remarkably fluid. I mean, it came came very nicely and it, partly because the characters were so well conceived mm -hmm. and um and partly because Ro rob is a very good who'd done lots of improvisation himself was a very good patient sort of uh director mm -hmm. and that kind of thing um so there were no judgmental calls on the other you know that's that said that sucked or you know do it again because tony fucked it up or mm -hmm. whatever it's just like <laughs> let's do it again so you know do we get something we like um and i must say it was it right from the start it was it was just a, an eye-opening experience Mm -hmm. it, was, it was fantastic. So, based anyway, based on that twenty-minute thing we made, whatever it's called, um, eventually they got the funding to make Spinal Tap, which was made for a, a rousing, the rousing number of four million dollars. Well, was was that like eighty-one? It was. It was all shot in eighty-two. Actually, okay. yeah, summer yeah. fall of eighty-two. So it's not. I mean, for eighty-two, that's not. No, no, it's not. That's quite reasonable. Pretty good, yeah. Um, when filming that, like, did did you have any idea that it was going to be what it is? Like, was it? I'm, I'm sure people asked anyone that question. No, I actually, I, no. I I I don't know what our motivation was in doing it, other than just having a really good time at the mm -hmm. expense of, of of hideous heavy metal. <laughs> and and it was. Um, uh, I mean, I said this once in a, in a moth story, so it's not entirely new thought. But one of the interesting things about Spinal Tap is it is it's called a rockumentary, obviously, or mm -hmm. or, or whatever, uh, a parody of a rockumentary. A mockumentary. Well, as Marty DeBerge calls it, a rockumentary, if you will. Right, if you will. Right. But, yeah, mockumentary meaning it's it's a parody. Right, of but course. Mockumentary, rockumentary, mock rockumentary. Um, but, um, but actually, in some ways, I think it's a documentary. And it's a documentary of a bunch of pretty smart people, all of whom probably at some point had a group they thought was going to save the world and have been deeply disappointed and disgusted by what happened to that to that form of music. So that it, it, it only could have been made, I think, at the time it was made, mm -hmm. at, the, at the turn of the, from the seventies to the eighties, when when we really had we knew as much as we knew about music, and we felt the way we felt about that kind of music to really really take on its not just not just its obvious targets or the group, but its sort of backstage targets like myself and and the the record executive, you know, uh, and and. Um, and, and all the sort of bits and pieces, the record company, you know, Bobby Fleckman, all those wonderful characters, uh, who gave the whole thing its texture, um, that, 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 that sort of, it, it, it transforms the whole enterprise into, into a whole rather than just being a musical parody. Um, it's, it's a moment in time that these cameras caught when, you know, the very smart group of actors were feeling a certain way and saying certain things. Do you, do fans of that movie, I mean, how do they react to you? How do I? How do they react to you? Like, I mean, I mean, people who love Spinal Tap love Spinal Tap, and I think they probably internalize it more than they probably should. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's, what I've what I've 
found. I mean, the, the most amazing thing. I mean, like just last night, I was at dinner in Sarasota, of all places, mm -hmm. Florida, and some very young busboy, white, obviously, white Floridian busboy, <laughs> unusual in Florida, but uh, came up to me in this rather swank restaurant and said, I, 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 I really I hate to ask you this, but uh, I, you just look awfully like... He doesn't use the word awfully either. I realize I'm doing this in a totally English accent. This is a very terrible impression yeah. you're doing yeah. of this, Sarah, right. so in <laughs> bus boy, but we'll forgive so, you this time. Right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, I do apologize, but um, you look an awful lot like that actor in Spinal Tap. And I said, thank you very much. I am that actor, you know. And But, but he, this kid couldn't have been more than 18 or 19 yeah um and he was just like blown away that he'd met someone from spinal tap it was it was like he said i've watched it so many times i can't count them he's 19 i mean there must be a fairly <laughs> finite number of times he could have watched it but um but i found that for you know for sort of mini generations yeah i mean it just seems to go on i mean i think any any, I don't know. I I don't want to be gender specific on either side of this, but I think a lot of us are introduced to it when we're you know fifteen, sixteen years old, maybe a little bit younger than that, because that's when you get into music too, right? And right. If you're like me, you get into comedy, and it's obviously just becomes part of the canon of things that you that anyone who's a teenager would watch. Right. Right. Even even the uh, even millennials, even even the people using Snapchat today, it's still a part yeah. of, of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that's what that's what I, I I must say I love that part of it. It's it's not like it's just people who watched it when it first came out or first went into video and so forth it does seem to be enduring in some way but i think to some to some degree it's just the because i mean a lot of the people who like that kid i'm sure doesn't listen to anything like you know that, right. that we were <laughs> yeah that, that uh that, that we were parodying or even probably isn't even aware of of what we were parodying but it's just um it's actually a very interesting question i mean it's not, it's not one i should really be answered or trying to answer i guess but it is interesting that when you pull it apart, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That that I mean, other other than just the you know the the fact that it's a well made movie and it's got funny scenes, it doesn't seem to make its hold on people, especially musicians. I mean, uh, the number of musicians over the years, I mean, some quite eminent ones, you know, mm -hmm. who've who've either come up to me or I've heard about, you know, f from from other people. Um, who, who say this is exactly what it's like to be a musician <laughs> on the road? You know, it's uh, it's uncanny how many how many things there are that are, that are just so spot on. As the years have gone on, and, and the um, they've done some. Oh, spinal I have to tell you one thing. Yes, the one, my best fan story. This is this is, this is my uh, Spinal Tap fan story, which is that uh, it, when it when it first broke out, like, it, which it was a lot to do with the VHS revolution. Mm -hmm. Actually, I mean, Spinal Tap did terribly in the. In, in theaters but um but it did f fantastically on video so this was would have been around 86 or 87 and uh, i'm um I'm, i get into a cab and the cab driver is a classic acid casualty right i mean he has he has stringy hair in a in a you know in a crunchy whatever you call him uh down to his ass and and he's um got dark glasses and you know they're definitely looking the worst for wear, even though it's ten o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and and uh, so he eyes me uh, through in the mirror. And after a while, he says, um, "Hey man, weren't you in that movie about the rock band?" And I said, "Yeah, Spinal Tap." Said, "Yeah, yeah. You know, I used to know that group before they made that movie." <laughs> 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 <It's> just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he knew them back when they did their um 
Like more doo-wop stuff, I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. That's right. Yeah, you knew them back in London in the 60s. Right, right. Skiffle group. So, all right, so let's let's move on to Spy, because that's that's around the same time. No, Spy, Spy, when did Spy's first issue was, I want to say 86, but that sounds too early. It was either eighty six or eighty seven, but anyway, um, no, that's uh, late, late, uh, late eighties, early nineties. Oh, where, where, what am I? Miss- so there's a gap I've missed between Spinal Tap and and Spy. What was what's going on in the eighties? Um, oh, they're allowed well, to talk actually, about. <laughs> well, what one of the things that's going on um, a little earlier mm-hmm. was I had met at the Lampoon um, a pair of British. Uh, I wouldn't call them cartoonists exactly, although what they did at the time was was a form of editorial cartoon. But what they had perfected was. And they worked for the, the big newspapers in London at that point. They, they perfected a, a way of doing photographic uh, sc- sculptures. That they, they made sculptures out of uh, something called plasticine, which is like silly putty, uh, of hideous, wonderful caricatures of public figures, mm-hmm. and then put them in outrageous circumstances uh, and shot them. And so they they had these fantastic editorial cartoons that were very convincing characters Mm -hmm. and um they did a they did a very funny piece for for the lampoon about the united the um the eu and all its various denizens and i became fast friends with these what the names of peter fluck and roger law and and after i left the lampoon uh i was uh i kept in touch with them and at one point we started talking about what it would be like because the Muppets were like the biggest thing on television at that point, what it would be like to actually take, you know, their dollies and turn them into real puppets mm-hmm. so, so that, that you'd have moving moving satirical uh, caricatures of people instead of just, you know, uh, instead of just uh, stills. And, um, and they, you know, they, they'd been thinking along the same lines. So anyway, over the next few years, several years, we gradually developed this idea and and got the technology actually from the Muppets, very largely, uh, of how to work these. They, they were the same size as the Muppets, you know, like over the, with one arm up the puppet, yeah. that, that, that kind of thing. And then another arm comes around. So eventually, Central Television in England bought it, and we called it Spitting Image. I mean, I've been knocking television a lot, but I mean, this this was really good television. I mean, mm-hmm. amazingly good television and very harsh satire. I mean, the kind that I like, <laughs> the kind that's got got a real pungency to it. And it ran. I, I mean, I I had a quarrel with uh, my co-producers on the show. Decided to leave, but uh, the um, the show ran for like nine years. It was, it was oh, like wow. a huge, huge show in England. And you were involved all nine years, or had no? No, I was involved in the in the development and in the first season, I, which I co-produced. We nine. actually got a BAFTA nomination. I got a BAFTA nomination for that. Very nice. Yeah, nine years—that like, seems like a long time for something to be on BBC or, or on. It, it was on Central. It was on Night TV. Right, it wasn't on BBC. But, but usually, those, those things don't go past like two or three. No, series, no this but, was a phenomenon. I yeah, mean, it, it, that it survived so long in in the very heated sort of TV comedy atmosphere. Of, I mean, you're right. I mean, normally in England. TV series don't last nearly that long. Yeah, um, but this was, it was an institution. I mean, everybody watched it on Sunday night. You know, That's the final edition radio hour. We'll be right back. Tony, we got to come up with a promo. Our listeners don't know enough about all the great stuff the final edition does. Even when we tell them it's all this like blah 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 dot 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 www URL crap. No one gets what that is on radio. They just tune it out. 
Well, I have the perfect way to hold their attention while we give them the goods. When I was at the National Lampoon in the 70s, our most famous cover had a cute mutt with a 38 Magnum to its head and the legend, buy this magazine or we'll shoot this dog. Yeah, I remember that, but how does that help us? It was a visual image for a magazine. Meet Freckles. Oh, freckles? Oh, there, there. Good boy. What's the matter then? Also, meet my 38 Magnum. Jesus Christ, you have a gun? Don't wave that thing around here. Is that thing loaded? Sure is. Hey, listeners to the final edition Radio Hour on Progressive Voices on TuneIn. If you don't stay tuned to this promo while Jeff gives you all the necessary info about our fabulous website and our fabulous YouTube channel and other fabulous stuff we do, I will shoot this dog. Jesus, man, take the gun out of that defenseless animal's ear. Uh Uh-uh. Give him a good, Jeff. Oh, my God. Poor Freckles. Okay, fine. Hey, listeners to the Final Edition Radio Hour, you want more of what we do, go to thefinaledition.com. Our radio airs on this network on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at 8, as well as Wednesday at midnight. We've also got an album, we've got a Twitter feed, we've got a great YouTube channel, Facebook, everything you can want at thefinaledition.com. Now, tell them to tap all that into their iPhones, or leave themselves an audio memo. No, I won't. I told them enough, Tony. I'm calling the Tell them, tell them, or the dog gets it. I'm cocking the gun right now. Okay, listeners... Please, uh, write this down, thefinaledition.com, thefinaledition.com. Go there for everything you want from the final edition or this crazy old British coot is going to plug old freckles. Okay, that wasn't so hard, was it? Come here, freckles, you dumb old chum. Hey, hey, get down. Get, get down. Get away from me. Get you crazy cunt. Good job, freckles. Get, get away. Sick of Oh, yeah, this is Jeff Chrysler for the final edition of Radio Hour on Progressive Voices on TuneIn. 8 p.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights. Midnight on Wednesday. No, Freckles, put that thing down. You don't have opposable thumbs. April 24th, everything comes back. Everything? Everything comes back. All the shows you've been missing. Game of Thrones, Veep, Silicon Valley. That's amazing. That book you left in your sister's car that was gone for a year. Hey. It comes back April 24th. Thanks. 1992 gold medal Olympian Christy Yamaguchi. Where has she been? Yamaguchi ain't telling, but she comes back. Okay. Remember that dog? That dog that mom and dad said ran away from home? Mr. Nutters? Mr. Nutters is back, and he's better than ever. Where has he... That train of thought? Toot toot, pulls into station. Four, two, four. Uh... Those cargo shorts you gave to Goodwill? On April 24th, the prodigal pockets return. That really wasn't the... Wait... Papa? Your dad went out for smoke 17 years ago, and he comes back on Big 2-4. They were Marlboro Lights. Forgive me. Remember the sun? You mean that sun? Stop pointing at the decoy sun, because soon you won't have to. April 24th, the sun is back. Why would anyone steal the sun? Remember that baby tooth? No. Yes. Please, no. On April 24th, April 24th comes back, and it's more April 24th than ever. Plus, special guest star, April 23rd, one night before the main event. 
It's the double header you won't want to miss. And in fact, you can't miss. April 24th, everything comes back. Jon Snow? Except possibly Jon Snow. Sometimes we all feel alone in a crowd. Or have trouble sleeping. Sometimes it's so difficult to concentrate. Most of the time you feel fine. You just want to get high as fuck. That's why there's pills. You could take pills to normalize your social anxiety. But you really take them because they make the world sound like womp womp womp. What's in pills, yes? A lot of love. <laughs> <laughs> L-O-V-E is an acronym for lithium, oxycontin, valium, and ephedrine. Ask your doctor to write you a prescription for pills as long as he's cool. Talk to your doctor about pills if you sometimes feel sad or angry. Or if you ever feel... Habit-forming pills are an essential treatment for those suffering from anxiety and depression, or for people like us. Who like to pop one and go to Disneyland on a Wednesday. Pills may cause a feeling of awesomeness. Tell your friends if you begin feeling way chill, bro. Double your dosage if you see your parents. Plan on seeing your parents. Or just cause, brah. Pills. Get back to doing what you love. Being high. What's it look like out there? The dogs have finished eating the dead. Now they're eating the weak and the small. Acid rain destroyed the roof and the bunker. I mean, it's only a matter of time before our skin is gone. Babies are carrying knives. Earthquakes are coming every six minutes. The rice, it, it isn't rice anymore. It burns now. There's only one thing we can do to survive. I know. We must. We must get jobs at Walmart. Yes, the only safe place anymore is a nice, climate-controlled Walmart. Small businesses are failing, and the air outside is toxic. But inside the store, you'll be stocking shelves with bargain pillowcases, fitted sheets, toys, crackers, and more. Plus, employees enjoy our generous benefits package. Benefits include being allowed to stay in the store. Remember... Death is everywhere, so come on in, fill out an application, join the family, don't unionize, and make just enough money to get to and from work. Walmart, where else are you going to go? And now, what if Socrates had held his dialogues on Facebook, a dialectic in one act? Socrates was posting a picture of his lunch as he sat with Glaucon, the son of Ariston, when Polymarchus remarked on his feed, Socrates, you have posted a picture of a chicken cheese steak with garlic fries. Is this the ideal sandwich? To this Socrates replied, It is neither ideal nor not not ideal. For by posting many sandwiches, I hope to perceive the true form of sandwich, 
which transcends individual sandwiches. Then Cleitophon, the son of Aristonymus, whom Socrates had never met personally, but who seemed to know most of the people Socrates knew, responded. Stop being mealy-mouthed and just say your favorite sandwich. Mine is roast beef. It's people like you who are killing the Democratic Party. But stay, dear Cleotophon. Socrates responded. For I wish to understand, do you ever eat other sandwiches? It must be admitted, Cleotophon said. Then let us imagine human beings living in an underground den. Every sandwich they have seen is merely the shadow of the true form of sandwich, which exists outside the cave, and which comes with a choice of coleslaw or fries, which are also in their true form. But Cleotophon did not answer, for Cleotophon had gone back to cyber-stalking his ex-girlfriend. Instead, Socrates received a reply from Cephalus, a guy Socrates sort of knew back in high school, but not really. Cephalus posted the ugliest possible photo of Hillary Clinton with the caption, How can you tell when Hillary is lying? Answer, her lips are moving. My dear Cephalus, Socrates said, How does this concern the ideal form of sandwiches? Also, can you indeed verify that former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is a liar when PolitiFact says otherwise? Hitler was a socialist just like Bernie Sanders, replied that guy that Socrates kind of, sort of, didn't exactly know in high school. Socrates was about to ask whether the word socialist, or indeed any other word, was true to the nature of its object, when Thrasymachus, whom Socrates used to work with at Staples, said, Can you tell us whether the ideal sandwich is the club sandwich? For it is the most sandwichy of all sandwiches, consisting, as it does, of extra sandwich. I know one thing, that I know nothing. Socrates replied, Of course, all you liberals know nothing, said that guy from high school again. If you want to be educated, check this out. And he posted a video called Hillary is a Serial Murderer, which was two hours long. Two fucking hours. Okay, I tried fact-checking about three minutes of this thing, and none of it holds up. Socrates said. He then called the video a goddamned waste of my time. Which, if you know Socrates, was really out of character. Can we please just talk about the sandwich? Then Glaucon, who was sitting across from Socrates, literally right across the table from him at the restaurant, answered Socrates' post, saying, Where you at, dog? Then Socrates told a story about Ur, son of Arminius, dying and coming back to life or some shit like that. It was too long and I didn't read it. And then I stopped reading the post altogether. I learned nothing. And this has been What If Socrates Had Held His Dialogues on Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Final Edition Radio Hour. Humans providing their voices to the Final Edition include Bruce Cherry, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Rob Gordon, Tony Hindra, Jeff Chrysler, Jeff Hendrick, Dan Vitale, Jessica Park, Barry Link, Ebby Parker, John Marshall, 
Rachel Rauch, Steve Rosenfield, James Mount, Rob Miller, Leah Krinsky, Kayla Merrill, Andrew Danish, Leslie Shapira, Ann Tuchel, Darby Worley, Ben Kirchner, Gil Barron, and Bridget Fitzgerald. Writers for the final edition include Bruce Cherry, James Mount, Jen Dodd, Jim Earl, Ben Kirchner, Bridget Fitzgerald, Rob Gordon, Gil Barron, Tony Hendra, Jeff Hendrick, Jessica Park, Ebby Parker, Jeff Chrysler, Barry Lank, Leah Krinsky, John Marshall, Kurt Weitzman, Leslie Shapira, Kate Knowles, Jeremy Rayburn, and Steve Rosenfield. The final edition was produced and directed by Tony Hendra and Jeff Chrysler. West Coast production and direction by Barry Lank. Audio editing and sound design by Greg Russ and Andrew Hammond. The final edition is the property of the final edition LLC. Copyright 2016.